Hey there. Welcome to the Global Wear Podcast. Today, we're visiting Cambodia with Global Wear Executive Director Kimberly Haley Coleman. My name's Toby Bear, and whether you're volunteering with us or listening in for your own edification, we're glad you're here. We're going to talk a little bit about Cambodia and what it's like when you participate in our program. For a full guide of what we talk about and when during this episode, just see the description. Now, let's get straight to it. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Kimberly Haley Coleman with Globalware. And today we're going to talk about Cambodia. This is both a podcast and a visual YouTube video. So if you're hearing one, just know you can also check out the other one. The intent of this is to help prepare people who have registered for our Cambodia program and are going on it, want to know what to pack, what to expect, what the projects will be, and so forth. It will not be as comprehensive as your packet, nor will it be as up-to-date. So I think it's still a really good idea to try and read through your packet because we are updating that with the latest information pretty much every month. But this is uh, intended as something you can listen to on the way to work or working out or as you're cleaning the house. So anyway, with that, welcome. Um, I'm also joined today by Toby Bear. Hi, Toby. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Toby's here to keep me on track and keep me from veering too far off and hopefully keep this podcast well under an hour. So with that, here we go. Cambodia, you will be... uh, serving in Siem Reap. And Siem Reap is a really exciting, amazing place to go for regular tourists. Um, The big draw is Angkor Wat, this big, huge temple complex that was largely sealed off the world from the world for hundreds of years, um, and particularly following um, the uh, human tragedy that Pol Pot brought with the Khmer Rouge regime. But that brings to mind that not only does it bring a lot of appeal for anyone who's wanting to visit Southeast Asia because of this huge and immense temple complex, ancient temple complex, but the need is really great um, for many reasons tied to what I just mentioned, the Khmer Rouge and all the devastation that was uh, wrought at that time. And that's the main reason that Globalware has a program there. So I'm not gonna go deep into that history. Um, There have been lots of films uh, done on um, the Khmer Rouge and on Pol Pot. Um, You will learn about that as you arrive. You will go and see uh, the killing fields. It's a very um, disturbing, moving, thing to visit, but important to recognize so that hopefully um, history will not repeat itself. Um, Somewhat unrelated to that, that is not where Cambodia's tragedy ended. Um, For those of you who follow um, war history and what happened with Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, Both Laos and Cambodia were used by both Vietnam and the United States um, strategically. So uh, materials, supplies, people were moved through those countries. Um, At that same time, the United States um, did put landmines into the ground 
uh, to try and stop troops from going wherever they didn't want them to go. And many of those landmines are still there. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, again, that relates to one of the main projects we're doing there. Um, and I want to just, I think it'll give you some context if you can understand something about the landmines. They're about this big. And they're neon pink, neon orange, neon green, and they're buried kind of shallow in the ground. And over time, the earth moves and they may become exposed if they haven't already detonated. And they're designed to be detonated with any sort of vibration or weight over them. But if you picture this, who do you think is finding these and picking them up? It's generally not a 65-year-old. They see that and they know to stay away from it. But two, three, and four-year-olds don't know that. And since they're really less designed to kill and more designed to maim, it's like a blender from the ground up. So uh, there are quite a few. You'll see them when you're there. You'll see people who um, are mobility impaired uh, and you'll see children who've been impacted by this. Now, that may make you worry about being in Siem Reap itself. And I should say that Siem Reap is almost entirely cleared from landmines, uh, if not entirely, because it is such a draw. The government knows that it's a moneymaker for them. So they have cleared the landmines out of CM Reap. So you will be safe here, but people coming in from rural areas when we're working on our wheelchairs um, are coming from areas where they have not been cleared. And it is important if you go outside of Siem Reap and go into the more rural areas you go, the less likely they are fully cleared. So it's just good to know you're not likely to even be tempted to do that while you're on our program because there it is such a densely full area of things to see you in a one, even two week time period. I think you wouldn't be too tempted to move much beyond that um, because it really is a lively, wonderful, amazing place. So anyway, I encourage you to read about Pol Pot, the Khmer Rouge, um, the Vietnam War, what was done there. And uh, so you have a little bit more context. But anyway, that's just some brief things. So Toby, what do we need to talk about today? Yeah, there is a lot in Siem Reap. Uh, we should start with the English school, like one of the projects that... Right. Okay. So we're... Okay, so we do have a smattering of projects that we work on in Siem Reap. Um, one of them is working with kids in the local schools who they are given access to some education. It's very loosely organized and there seems to be no sort of effort at making sure kids are actually attending. But the ones who are there, they are teaching English as their primary foreign language and their opportunities to practice it, particularly pronunciation and colloquialisms. These are things that no one locally is really equipped to do. And the reason this is an important skill is because tourism, particularly in the CM Reap area, is such a huge source of jobs. Any of these kids who are able to speak English automatically has a leg up in terms of being able to get a job in this industry. So it may seem like a, um, a somehow perhaps not necessary skill, but it actually is. And since we have regular volunteers going over there, if they're speaking to different um, volunteers that have different accents, it really helps them hear um, 
so that when they're using English, they're able to be more recognizable. So it's a really great project. And you'll also be seeing what the typical school is like, what kinds of resources they do and don't have. And if you're wanting to bring donations, things like rulers, solar calculators, pencils, notebooks, soccer balls, and little pumps to um, fill the soccer balls. Those are the kinds of things I would bring. We really discourage bringing, uh, passing out candy and money because it makes local communities see us um, in really not the most positive way. Uh, when we really want to uh, endorse this concept of equality and being side by side, working as equals with one another and going and kind of distributing money and candy kind of um, puts us on a different field. So we're not, we don't force anyone to do anything, but it's just uh, maybe something good to know, to be sensitive to that going into an environment. So the school is one of them. And we used to do chicken coops. That is on hold at the moment uh, for lots of reasons I won't go into here. What else should I be talking about? There's the reforestation efforts in the villages around San Yes, there. Uh, so re reforestation projects are very important because there's been so much development. In fact, when Global Air first started going to Cambodia back in like 2003, 2004, there were essentially no paved roads. And you wouldn't believe that now looking at this 20 some odd years later, because so many roads are paved, but they have been clearing a lot and developing a lot because it's such a huge magnet. Um, the Southeast Asia in general, but Angkor Wat in particular. And because so many plants and trees have just been taken out, it has caused uh, erosion. So working on that. Also, assembling wheelchairs for landmine victims. You may or may not do, do that. We have been doing this for decades. And then in the past, since COVID, there have been a couple of organizations that have stepped up and have begun providing uh, wheelchairs more regularly. So the need hasn't felt as great. But I also have to say, this is the kind of thing that could change at any moment. Um, anytime a group decides they're going to do something, there's no obligation that they're going to continue to. So that really it's best to go into an environment like this just with an open heart and willing hands, knowing that we're going to put you on some great projects and they might change the day before you get there. They may change midweek and they may be what's on your list. Our coordinator who is there full time is always looking at and meeting with the community. And if they've had a big flood and you arrive and they need help sandbagging a school to keep things from getting ruined, you'll be pulled off whatever you're working on and doing that. If you're with a larger group, say a corporate group or a school, chances are we're looking at a more major construction project that won't be changed. So if you're a smaller group, you're much more likely to need to be in a position to pivot um, whatever the projects are based on the current need and based on whatever the prior group just finished. All right, Toby, what's next? Orphanages. Orphanages. This is a big one. The reason is a big one. We used to do a lot with orphanages. And then around, I can't remember, maybe 2004, 2005, um, I think we just got a little bit more educated and better understood um, the situation. To give you a little bit of context, what is often called now orphanage tourism, where people will come and visit to maybe bring some donations um, or money. Um, there were other things happening. Uh, there were not with Globalware, but there were instances where uh, supposed benefactors would show up and maybe ask if they could take an orphan or two to go and show them the sites and then awful things would happen to them because they're very vulnerable. 
um, or they would grow attachments to the volunteers and then the volunteers would leave. It just, there, there are too many vulnerabilities for uh, orphans and they really need to be working with qualified professionals that are specialized in this and they need to be a more constant presence. So we will help and work with orphanages to the extent that we're not putting anybody in danger. So for example, we might come and cook and deliver a really he a heavy uh, protein rich meal. Or we may go and put up a basketball court and bring a bunch of basketballs and bring them. But what we aren't doing is no one-on-one -on -one work with them and no um, field trips, uh, that kind of thing. We might all play a soccer game together, but uh, it's important to know that orphanage tourism um, is something that really has subjected some kids to some pretty horrific things. And there are a number of groups, fortunately, out there trying to spread awareness on this practice um, to hopefully stop it. Um, and you'll see that is why we don't just sit for a week uh, going every day uh, to work with them because we really, since we don't require specific skills of our volunteers, we just feel it's not appropriate. Anyway, all right. Um, ideally, there would be like more child like welfare services in Cambodia. I think it's worth mentioning, but there yeah. aren't, and it's like a complex issue. So, um, yeah, constantly trying to define the best way to contribute to the children in Cambodia. Um, but it's not it's not all black and white. I think is what you're saying. I think you're right. It's not all black and white, and. It, on the one hand, you might say, well, gosh, but these kids are really needy. They really need our help. And that's true. They do. They have a ton of needs. Um, the problem is who is the best person to provide it and how. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's not that we're against working with them. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember some of the cultural uh, norms, cultural like guidelines that you put down on the orientation guide? So one of the key ones really has to do with being uh, sensitive to the Buddhist culture. And you, having been on mm -hmm. our Thailand program, for example, understand um, some of what that's all about. And I won't go into all about. I would love to. I love talking about this stuff. But you're in an environment. Um, it's a Buddhist culture, and no one's going to require you by law to do anything. But it, um, in terms of how you dress when you're out and about in town. However, if you go into any sort of temple, you're really expected to at least have your knees covered, sometimes down to your ankles, and usually your shoulders will need to be covered. Some temples are really strict about this and won't let you, for example, just put a shawl around it. Others will let you just put a shawl around and you can go in. And these are enterprising places. So if you have not dressed appropriately, there are frequently people right on the outside of a temple. And you remember seeing this, Toby, mm -hmm. where they'll rent or sell you articles of clothing so that you are able to go in and be um, appropriately dressed. I, you know, um, within a more personal setting, let's say, for example, you're speaking to a monk and you will see monks all around Cambodia wearing their orange robes, often with an uh, umbrella. A few key things to know is if you're a woman, you do not touch monks like you and you also don't directly hand them anything. If you needed to hand them, uh, let's say, uh, a glass of water rather than giving it to them directly, you put it on the table and then they will pick it up. Um, and this is not about inferiority or superiority. In their mind, it's a way of decreasing the possibility of attachments. 
since attachments, if you fall in love with somebody and then you break up, it really hurts. So their concept is more just to avoid those attachments from the get-go. And that every time you get closer to someone, particularly physically, there's this uh, feeling that it can lead to attachments. So anyway, the one of the bigger items is trying to be respectful in terms of clothing. It is so hot and it is so humid that I know people are tempted to wear, you know, spaghetti straps and sleeveless shirts and you can do those uh, just keep in mind that particularly when you're going to temples um, it is disrespectful and often not allowed at all um, to not cover yourself a bit more what else am i leaving off um so there's a couple of like rules like rules actually they're not rules uh don't touch another person's head because in cambodia it's sacred that's right um don't put your feet at a person or object particularly if that person or object is buddha yeah that's considered very rude yeah, yeah. to to so and i a, a setting where that might happen is somebody goes into a temple and is sitting there listening to the chanting and if you sit with your legs out in front of you pointing at uh people that is it's just the height of rudeness. So it's better to sit on your side with your kind of knees, yeah. with your feet behind you. Yeah. Um, remove your shoes when you go into oh, yes. most inside places. Most right? inside places. You're, and and you'll, you'll usually see all the shoes before you go in anyway, which kind of helps remind you, yep, we're supposed to take our shoes off. Uh, and last, don't climb on Buddha statues or photograph them um, if like if without permission basically right yeah um you and usually there will be signs telling you what you can yeah. and can't do i would just ask you to be respectful um there are also um you know buddha heads are sold in a lot of the souvenir shops but a lot of the local uh cambodian people feel it is a some think it's bad luck and some think it's um disrespectful to buy them so it's good to know it um, no one's going to keep you from doing it um, if anything is considered real teak or real antique that is highly regulated so when you buy things just keep that in mind that it might be taken from you as you leave the country if you don't have paperwork showing that it's not an antique or that it's not teak wood um, as you leave so it's just good to know what about packing Packing. Okay. So hot and humid, you're going to be wearing clothes that since you're going to be working, you don't mind sweating in. Uh, there are plenty of places where you can go and get laundry done. So you don't need to bring a ton of clothes. You can just wash it while you're there, whether you are washing it with shampoo, Rick Steve style in a sink, or whether you're giving it to the lady on the corner for a couple of dollars. There are lots of options. It's better to Underpack. You can always buy more things there. The other thing I'll say is, if you bring extra, if you're if you've got flip flops and tennis shoes and things like that, whether they get dirty or really used up, and you just don't think you're going to use them anymore, if you leave them there, our coordinator will get them to people who will use them. Shoes are a huge thing. Needing shoes uh, and just basic shorts and t-shirts, any of that stuff that you feel like, hey, you might not wear again, you can leave it there. Bring souvenirs home to support the economy that way because uh, you're just not going to need a lot of clothes and most people don't dress up. Now, CM Reap, unlike some of our locations, because it's so full of cafes and restaurants and bars and clubs and tourist sites, there, if you wanted to dress up, for example, to go and dance in the evening, you can do that. But people aren't dressing in cocktail dresses. 
Uh, so you really don't need to bring anything dressy. I think it's always a good idea to have at least one pair of closed-toed shoes so that if, for example, we're building something with concrete blocks, you've got something covering your toes. Um, and if you can uh, bring work gloves with you, it's helpful. Although we often have a few pair you can use, they get crusty and wet and dry, and some people just don't, It's they can feel gross to put on. So it's better to bring your own um, if you're, picky about that. Um, and uh, flip-flops are also good, particularly for off work hours and having power banks for your phones, having um, an umbrella just as much for the rain as for the sun, a little day pack to put all your stuff in, um, a money belt to keep your passport and money on you. Um, I don't always follow this rule, I but I do believe that it's the wisest thing to do. There are often safes in the uh, mid-range hotels where our volunteers are housed, but sometimes there'll be a couple rooms without them. And it's just better to always have it on you. Yeah. Um, on the orientation guide, there's the essential items are bug repellent with at least 20% DEET, uh, sunscreen, flashlight, water bottle, and umbrella. Yes. Yeah. And... Um, in terms of bugs, I mean, I feel like the mosquito situation in Texas is much worse than I've ever seen in Cambodia. But for people who aren't used to seeing Texas-style mosquitoes, I do think it is a good idea to have um, bug repellent. And also, when it comes to packing, on a somewhat related note, money. Uh, I will say the same thing here that I say for all, pretty much all of our programs, with the exception of Cuba. I would bring two credit cards. I would call those credit card companies and give them a travel alert so that they don't think it's fraud the first time you go to use it. Uh, and sometimes even then, even if you've given them a travel alert, they'll um, think it's fraud. Um, I would bring a debit card and same thing, notify your bank you're going to be out. And I would bring around $200 US as a backup. When you arrive in country, I would use your debit card in the ATM at the airport. If you don't use it there, you can use it in town, but always use it in a really well-lit, high-traffic area, not in a corner, because if you go in and uh, kind of down an alley where not many people are walking, those often people will put false fronts onto those ATMs, and we've had this happen, where people have had their bank accounts emptied that way. So uh, I would just use a highly trafficked one in an airport. That's why an airport one is safe. But And then pull out, which is more or less the maximum amount of local currency you can. So uh, I would look up whatever the current rate is. And it's usually around $200 or $250 of the local currency is the maximum you can pull out. Sometimes it's as low as 100 And yes, there will be a 2 or $3 fee, but still the exchange rate that the bank is going to give you on the ATM card is much better than you would get at any exchange bureau. So those U.S. dollars, you're not bringing those as your primary spending money. It's a backup. Let's say all the ATMs are closed and whatever. But if you don't use that $200, you still have it when you come home. So I see no loss in having that $200, pulling out the maximum, having one debit, two credit. Also have a photocopy of your passport with you and then email yourself one. Just in case you lose your passport or get it stolen, the 
best thing you can have to help you get your new one is going to be a photocopy of your old one. And they're not going to give it to you immediately. You're going to have to wait and go to the consulate or embassy and wait at least 24 hours after you show up with your photocopy to get the new one. But uh, it's a good practice. So anyway, those are just things to pack and prepare. Also, fans. I, I've been bringing um, either those cooling towels that you wet and they stay cold for a while or the little now these little plastic motorized you put batteries in them they're rechargeable um neck fans have gotten really popular in the last couple of years and they are helpful because it gets it does get humid and hot Um, what about the accommodations? So we put our volunteers in mid-range, modest hotels in town so that when you are not working or going on our cultural excursions, you're close to a lot of things. I mean, you just walk out the door and you're in the middle of it. Um, and you can take tuk-tuks, you can take uh, cars, but just the walking pedestrian scene in Siem Reap is a marvel and you will enjoy it. So um, the accommodations have um, little individual air conditioning units on the wall, which is kind of a standard practice there. It has running water, just don't drink the water out of the sink, use the bottled water we provide you. Um, and you'll be eating breakfast at that hotel. Uh, there is hot running water. You probably won't want the hot water because it's so warm during the day, but you have it and you've got flushing toilets there. Uh, so the accommodations where you're staying are pretty um, comfortable in terms of providing the base amenities that you're used to. Can you drink, drink out of the tap? Do not drink out of the tap. Only, only uh, drink bottled water. Um, you know, I, I shouldn't say this. I, I usually end up brushing my teeth with the tap water and I'm okay, but I've had other people who've gotten sick with that. So I would just be careful. You're not going to be required to take any like yellow fever or malaria prophylaxis or any of that. But as with all of our programs, I think it's a really good idea to be up to date on mumps, measles, rubella, particularly a tetanus shot. You're supposed to get it every 10 years. If you are wearing sandals at a work site and you step on a nail, you will have wanted to already have had the tetanus vaccine in your system. So it's just good to be up to date on this base immunizations. How about Cambodian food? Oh, it is so good. And and that's that brings up several other things that make this program different. And one of them is most of our programs, all of our meals are provided here. You've got a welcome meal, breakfast, there might be another one, but most of your meals you're going to be uh, free to explore. And we didn't always do this. We used to go and have everything set, but the, because of this just tremendous myriad of options, all walkable, all close, where you see the beautiful Thai food and Indian food and even American food, you see everything. And a lot of times the people in our volunteer groups will want to be doing different things and it's inexpensive and easy. Uh, and we realize that people really just enjoy making their meal time a time to explore. And that is why we did that. And that is why we generally just don't include our meals 
um, within our program because people really wanted to use that as part of their free time exploration. Um, and the food, it, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know, New York City or Bangkok in that so many different cultures and countries um, have made an impact there that you can get an enormous array of food and you'll enjoy, I mean, everyone loves seeing, even the cafes and the coffee are just phenomenal. If you've been to um, Bangkok, this, this I think is even better. It just um, amazing in terms of what you have available to you. Yeah. Cambodian food itself is also, also kind of like reflects the, the blending of cultures. It does. You're right. It's, it is a huge blending of cultures and they have like the larb, uh, like you would have in Laos, where it's kind of ground spiced meat, um, and it's you know all the noodles, the fish, um, the kinds of things that you um, it, it you're gonna be amazed at the array of food. Uh, our coordinator on your first welcome night meal will introduce you to some of the famous Cambodian dishes, the Khmer dishes. But you can't possibly try it all while you're there. You'll also see things like uh, roaches being served um, as something of a novelty in some of the markets. Uh, They do eat things like crickets and so on. um, But most of the tourists I see doing that are doing it for a photo op, not because there, there are a ton of locals around them doing it. Um, so yeah, you might see some gross things and some photos on Instagram or something, but it's, it's not your only option. It's, um, more of a novelty thing. Speaking of the coordinator, uh, yeah. Could you introduce him? John is so great. Um, John is our coordinator and, uh, he's a dad and he's been working with us for years and, um, he knows all about the culture and his English is quite good and he's got a heart of gold and he is very responsive to, uh, your needs. So if you're having some sort of issue, like you've lost your passport or you, um, are looking for a pharmacy or whatever, I mean, in addition to leading you through the program, he's super helpful with all of those things. And uh, we're looking forward for you guys to get to know him. Yeah. Um, can you talk about John and, and kind of the arrival and meetup when you get to Cambodia? Right. Okay. So uh, unless something has changed, I don't think it has. Let me know if there's anything in the materials. But normally as you leave the airport, so you're going to come in, you'll have done customs, you'll have gotten your um, bags, you'll have gone through customs and immigration, gotten your passport stamped. Um, you buy a visa on arrival and I'm going to guess it's around $30. These things are always changing based on the exchange rate, but you get it there. Um, and then as you leave the airport, John will usually be wearing our light blue coordinator shirts and holding a global wear sign. Sometimes he's got your name on it. Sometimes he doesn't. So it's really easy to see him. And if something strange happens like has a flat tire or something crazy Um, you can always call our emergency number and uh, we'll work things out I I should knock on wood which just doesn't seem to be something that happens so you'll be taken care of yeah and there's there's an e-visa that um that you recommend in the, yes the you can do an e-visa before you arrive and i believe that'll be in your orientation materials a yeah. link to where you can go and buy it which the main thing that will do is save you time on arrival waiting in a line getting your visa but if for some reason you haven't gotten around to it um, you can get it there um, 
And again, these are the kinds of things that can change. Like they'll, they'll often, uh, even instead of calling it an e-visa, they'll call it something else. So every couple of years, this will change. And that's why within this particular podcast, that's the kind of thing where it's best to look at whatever's in the materials, because as soon as that changes or the availability changes or the cost changes or where you get it changes, it'll be more up to date in the orientation materials. What about safety and security? And safety and security. You know, CM Reap, as I hope I've, I've given you a good idea of, is a bustling, busy, wonderful place. Um, but there are a lot of people without a lot of material goods and resources. Um, the government can be quite harsh on, is harsh on locals that break the law. It can be hard to um, always oversee whatever's happening. So all this to say that violent crime, which is a commonality in almost all of our programs, is much rarer than it would be in a lot of the urban environments in the United States. That said, petty theft is higher. And the biggest thing you're probably going to have that you'll need to watch are your passport and your phone. And if you're in a crowded marketplace and you're not watching your cell phone and you put it down while you're looking at something, it's going to disappear because that's worth more than, you know, three months of salary to someone. Um, but in terms of violent crime, because they know the penalties are so severe that you, you really just don't have to worry about that. Most people are know that they will be locked up for the rest of their life if they try and hurt someone. So it's really petty theft that you need to watch out for and, uh, and make sure you've, you're, you're keeping your wallet and your phone on you. Those are the big things. Yeah. And there's more, uh, information about safety and security on the orientation guide, but Cambodia is generally, you know, as long as you're with our program, uh, pretty safe. Yeah. Um, what about some leisure activities to do while, while you're there? So of course, um, you know, the big thing is Angkor Wat, and it is huge. There are so many temples. It's over miles and miles and miles. I don't remember. It's 40 miles square or whatever it is. You're not going to see all the temples. You'll get templed out before you can see all the temples. Um, the There's one entity where you buy the entrance for those, and our coordinator will take you there. Um, and... We usually have, I believe, one full day set aside for that. You may want to go back. Often we'll go and see sunset at one of the temples. But, the two, you know, the, the really the two big things that you could spend all week doing are seeing part of the Angkor Wat complex um, where, you know, these are the pictures. Like when you think about Mowgli in the Jungle Book with all of the trees in the jungle coming through the temple complexes, that was all inspired by Angkor Wat. And so it's a photographer's dream, right? You see all the monks there. You see all the other people. You'll see musicians hanging out in front of them. These people selling the things like roaches. I mean, you know, there's so there's a lot of thing activity around the temples themselves. And then Siem Reap. Those two things alone are enough. Um, you'll be seeing some um, Aspara uh, Kimura dancing uh, because of where our coordinator will take you on arrival. Um You'll be exposed to a lot of cultural uh, depth just by being on the program and going and doing our work sites. There are a million other things to see. And what am I leaving off of the packet that uh, I should be remembering to tell them? Because those two things alone really are going to fill most of their time. But uh, For leisure? Yes. 
Um, I don't think you're leaving yeah. anything. I, you know, if you're looking to do more, John can help you find more. But I yeah. just, I think it would be, you'd be hard pressed to, you're, you're not going to see everything you want to see just in CM Reap for the week you're there. Um, it really is amazing. And you're, you're going to find you're sleep deprived because you don't want to go to sleep because there's so much going on. Maybe yeah. we do a special segment on tuk-tuks, like how to. Yeah, tuk-tuk. Yes, we should. And we've done little videos of them on, you know, how you go about doing it and getting in and out. Uh, you know, they're um, a fun form of transportation because you feel like you're not closed off from the environment you're there to visit. Um, the, uh, I'm sorry, the, you'll be seeing uh, all sorts of uh sites up close because the tuk-tuks are so small it's basically a motorcycle with a, a covered seat behind it so you're able to go through little narrow alleys but yeah i should do one on that yeah yeah uh and i guess we'll finish up with donations all right okay so donations i know i touched on it earlier but i do really encourage if you want to bring anything and you certainly don't need to there are no required donations if you're wanting to bring them, it's great to bring them in an extra bag if you've got an extra bag allowance because what often happens is someone will send us, you know, uh, a box of used clothes and ask us if we can send it to Cambodia, but it'll cost $300, which is more than the underlying value of the items in the box. So the cheapest way of getting items there is putting them in your baggage. The next best thing would be to just buy things in country and give them to people and any sort of educational um, items any sort of sport items you can do base medical items like stethoscopes thermostats um, but you do have to be careful if you buy anything in bulk and large amounts because customs can think that you are trying to sell it and on rare occasion, they might try and uh, levy an import duty on it. So a couple ways around this. Most people get around it by explaining their donations. You can write a letter ahead of time to put in your bag that says these are donations that I'm giving. Um, and you can include like the Amazon receipt from wherever you bought something so that if they say, hey, this is $200, we're going to levy 10% tax. You can say, no, it was a $20 item and here's the receipt. So it's not bad to have all those things. We can usually, when somebody tries to, again, their their main worry is that you're trying to sell things without uh, following whatever the local guidelines are. And you're not. You're not there to sell anything. But just keep in, in your mind that that's what they're looking for. So if you're putting things in your bag that looks like they're for sale, like 10 laptops would be all sorts of red flags, particularly if they were new in boxes. But bringing an old used laptop, there are so many uses in schools and in orphanages that could use those. Any old phone, cell phones that you no longer need that could be unlocked and the data taken off of it. Those things are hugely useful. Um, and, and again, we really discourage giving out money and candy for lots of reasons. It's not a sustainable thing to give, whereas solar calculators, rulers, those kinds of things just have a life that goes beyond your being there that um, is a part of our mission of uh, promoting sustainability and cultural awareness. So, Yeah, and with that, um, that kind of concludes our podcast on Cambodia. Um, again, there's a lot more information in the orientation guide. And if you like need any more information, just reach out to us. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening in. Thank you so much, Toby. Really appreciate it. We hope to see you on another program here soon, everybody. Bye.
Thanks for joining us. For more information about Globalware, just visit our website or our Facebook or LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. We're pretty much on every one of the social media platforms. As always, have a good day and safe travels.